Hi, this is Chris Campbell, and welcome to the Food Institute podcast. This week, we are happy to welcome John Dunham back, uh, president of John Dunham and Associates. And we're going to be taking a look at the U.S. economy now that we are about a half a year into the coronavirus pandemic. But first, whether you are a first-time listener or becoming something of a regular, we ask that you share this episode on your social media platforms. It really helps us expand our reach, and we appreciate it when you do so. And I should also note that we're available on Spotify, so take a look for us there and subscribe if that is your preferred uh, source for podcasts. So with that all said, I'm going to welcome John back to the Food Institute podcast and ask him how he's doing today. So how are you, John? I'm doing great. I'm sitting in sunny Florida looking out over the water, so how bad could it be? There you go. You know, it's a little bit different from the last time you spoke when you were in uh, New York, but with the relocation down down in Florida, I was just wondering if we can actually kind of go back on a couple of the points we talked about back in May. And when we're revisiting these things, I'd really like to start with unemployment. So I was wondering if you can give us sure. a brief view into the current status of, you know, job creation and unemployment claims in the U.S. now that we're in October. Yeah, unemployment is probably the scariest part of this whole I'm calling it a depression. It really is. It's, it's really the scariest part of this whole depression. And that right now, and, and as you said, we're, we're what, six months out, the, uh, the number of jobless claims every week is still over 800,000. And if you think about it, during the worst weeks of the past recession, right, the, the recession in 2008, the worst weeks, it was maybe 600,000. So a, a good week now is worse than the worst week then. And even though the BLS's unemployment number has been falling, that's, there, there's some statistical problems going on there. Because if you look at the number of people receiving unemployment benefits, that's really flattened out. And it, it's, it's still sitting at around 20, 25 million. So the unemployment problem is still quite, quite severe. So yeah, I would like to touch on that a little bit more. In their most recent article that you contributed for the Food Institute report, you did say that the Bureau of Labor Statistics modeling was not accurately showcasing the true employment situation in the country. So I was wondering if you could explain that a little bit more for our listeners and give them a better idea of why those numbers might not be everything they seem on the surface. Yeah. I, now, I don't want to say anything bad about the BLS. Those guys do a great job um, you know, calculating these statistics every month, every week. Uh, and and, and, they're, and they're great. They're not hiding anything. But the thing is that their models are based, are, are standardized. They don't change with, with the times. And we're looking at a situation now that is outside of the parameters of really any, any modeling. It's, it's outside of the parameters of, of all of our forecasting models. So using the techniques they're doing without being able to change them, they're, they're just coming up with numbers that don't, that don't rationalize. They don't make, they don't match other sets of data that they're putting out. So that, I mean, that's the problem. If you look at the data on the number of continuing claims for unemployment, I mean, uh, you got to assume somebody's getting unemployment, that they're unemployed. That's got to be a, a lot better number to look at. And that's still sitting at about 25 million. So now that when we're looking at the trajectory of the overall U.S. economy, when we last spoke, you know, we talked about how there were differing models between a curve back up and then some people saying that it would be more like a V-shaped recovery. And like you said, you're seeing that this is actually a true depression. So I was wondering what you would have for uh, the trajectory of the U.S. economy overall. If you, if you think of it this way, if you take the best case, what the, what the bank economists are forecasting now, some kind of you know, 30% growth for this quarter and you know, maybe 5% growth for the next quarter, the overall economy will still be down by 3.1% at the end of the year. Again, let's put that in context. 
the the the, the last recession during its um you know its worst year the overall economy was down by 2.5 percent now the worst year of the great depression it was down by 12.9 percent which is you know we're, we're not there but uh, it's still worse than the last recession if everything works out perfectly so what do you think is the prospectus for the grocery retail sector going into the new year? And also maybe we can expand this to also include, you know, what can food manufacturers expect, uh, you know, as we're starting to close out uh, the third quarter and entering the fourth? Yeah, we were looking at these numbers the other day, and it, it's really interesting. It, it, remember, this, this entire recession, this entire depression, downturn, whatever you want to call it, is, is government imposed. This was all created by government decisions. I'm not going to argue whether they were right or wrong. That's that's up to you know all of us to decide. But it was created by the government, and when the government does regulates, they create winners and losers. And in this case, one of the big winners was the grocery retail sector, the the on the on um, I'm sorry, the off premise grocery retail sector, which has done remarkably well because in many cases they were the only stores that were open. Um, so that that's a that's an area that's that's grown. It's going to as restaurants, as other venues open up across the country, that'll, that, that growth will flatten out. But the, the grocery retail sector has done, done quite well. Uh, we were looking at food manufacturing and the overall food manufacturing sector. Again, you know, there's going to be winners and losers in this. But overall, it's, it's back to where it was pre-COVID or pre-shutdown. Because, again, most food manufacturers are considered essential by the uh, various government agencies that control this. So I, I think, you know, for food, you're not going to see any growth this year, but I think overall it's going to be, you know, it's, it's going to, it's going to end the year about where it was last year. Food retailing is going to be, it's going to be a really good year. So let's switch to the other side of that coin then, maybe the losers that have been kind of prescribed by the shutdowns, and that would be the food service industry. So we've seen a number of bankruptcies kind of hitting that industry. And I was wondering, what do you think is going to happen with this sector as the new year approaches? And specifically now that we're seeing, you know, colder weather is starting to approach most of the the country, not for you now that you're down in Florida, but the rest of us are going to be out in the cold. So what do you think is going to happen with food service, you know, as the as the days start getting colder and we start looking at winter? Hey, Chris, I'm from Colorado, so the, the, I'd rather be in the cold, to be honest with you. Um, I, I think, you know, this is the, you know, the old tale of two cities, right? The, the, the food service sector has been, actually the entire hospitality sector has been decimated by these shutdowns. Uh, and I think even if everything was to go back to normal tomorrow, if everything was going to be, you know, just as it was back in February, tomorrow, there's going to still be huge numbers of bankruptcies because, you know, the economy, the economy is a, is a flow, right? So if you don't make any revenue during the second quarter, you make maybe half your revenue during the third quarter, uh, you don't have the capital to most, most restaurants don't have the capital to withstand. that. And I, I've been talking to a lot of local bankers and it, it looks from like what they're saying that by the end of this year, a lot of the, I don't say mom and pop, but a lot of the, the local, the independent restaurants are going to start looking at their budgets and the amount of capital they have. And they're going to just they're going to say it's not worth continuing come next year. So I think you can see a big, a big number of bankruptcies and closures come the end of this year. Uh, the, the, the more uh, quick serve restaurants have done really well because, again, they were allowed to stay open. Uh, and the, the mall type restaurants, uh, 
are, are going to probably do much better for the most part because they have the capital sur- to survive. The, the So I'd also like to turn to inflation in the current moment and reading your report, you know, you said that you're not sure the Federal Reserve will be able to keep, you know, inflation in check following three months of increases. And I was wondering if you can explain your thinking on this and kind of expand on that a little bit more. Yeah, get me on this one. I've been wrong on, on, on inflation a lot. And, and it's, it's one of those areas that it just, I don't say it baffles me, but it, it if you look at, at, at what economics teaches us and what, and, and what inflation should be doing, we haven't been seeing it. But over the last three months, the, the, the month-to-month uh, inflation has been extremely high. It's been, you know, 4 or 5%. Now, the Federal Reserve believes they can control inflation. I, you know, I, I, the investors say never, again, never bet against the Fed, but I just don't believe this. I don't believe that the Federal Reserve can control the entire world economy. So... You have right now, you have demand, you have a lot of businesses that have gone bankrupt. So supply has been kind of shut down. Uh, the, the value of the dollar is falling because of all the money printing. And there's just everything, every, every sort of deep economic bone in my body and all the models that I have say we should be seeing, you know, inflation in the, yeah, we should be seeing inflation in the 6% range. Um, but I think, you know, a 4% inflation number, uh, for the next uh, few months, and maybe even longer, is not uh, out of the question. But again, I, I've been I've been known to be wrong on inflation. Also, regarding the U.S. economy, you know, a lot of talk has been focused now about Congress being unable to put forward any kind of relief package. Uh, well, not completely, but you know, in the recent months, they have been unable to put together a new relief package. And I was just wondering, what do you think a second round of one thousand two hundred dollar uh, stimulus checks would do? Do you think it would increase spending, or would it be more like the last one, where it was mostly used to pay down debt or to be saved as a rainy day fund? Do you find any kind of benefit for having those stimulus checks released into the economy? Well, I mean, the stimulus checks did did keep the economy from really, really collapsing in the last quarter. I mean, it, what am I saying? It was down 34%. But, you know, the stimulus checks, checks were a, a benefit to the economy in, in the last quarter. Uh, whether or not just, you know, helicopter money like that, throwing money just broadly at the economy is going to do much, I, I really don't think so. Because, again, the, the market is so distorted by the shutdowns that all you're going to do is continue to benefit the sectors that are benefiting and you're not going to see capital. You're not going to see any spending going into those that are, that are hurting. People are not going to go to rock and roll concerts because you give them a $1,200 check. They're not going to go on a bus tour. They're not going to you know, take an airplane flight down here to Florida. And hotels are not going to be getting more, uh, you know, selling more rooms. And those are the areas that are really hurting. So I think if, if, the, if the government is going to do more stimulus, and, and again, there's a cost to that as well. If, if the federal government is going to pass more stimulus, it really needs to be much more targeted toward those industries that the shutdowns have have decimated. So that be like a, another round of the Paycheck Protection Program? Or are you thinking more uh, targeted legislation that would help specific industries? You know, you're speaking about hospitality. They've been floating ideas about spending on the airline industry. So would it be more broad like the PPP or would it be more uh, directed, do you think, would be more effective for the economy at large? I'm a small business. I'd love another PPP loan. That would be great. But um, I, I think, honestly, I think that it would have to be a lot more targeted. Would, there would be a lot more bang if it was targeted. If you think about it, the if you're if you're a hotel or an airline, you're carrying a lot of debt to to you know to run your business. Air, airplanes are not cheap. 
And they're all, you know, they're leased on capital leases or the, the airlines borrow from them. Buses, I, I, we work for the motor coach industry and they're down, you know, 80% in some cases. Um, these are these things cost half a million dollars. And these are little companies that, you know, have, have gone way into debt to buy them. And with no riders, with no passengers, these companies are in, in real trouble. It's, uh, and it's no fault of their own. They, they were forced to shut down by these uh, regulations. So if, if the government wants to prop up businesses, it really, I think we get a lot more bang keeping these businesses from going bankrupt rather than in doling out money just to, to every, uh, you know, to, to, to every uh, store in the country. And what about restaurants specifically? Do you think that they would mostly benefit from PPP loans or do you think that this is kind of just a bandage on a wound that's bleeding too much until they're allowed to reopen at full capacity? Do you think there's an opportunity? I know last time we spoke, we were talking about New York and your familiarity there and how most restaurants are not set up to survive on 25 or even 50% capacity. So do you think that this is more just the slowing of the bleeding or is it something that could actually help them, you know, survive? And I'm really looking at these smaller chains and the mom and pop stores, you know, because I agree that most of the larger chains probably have enough capital to survive this uh, public health crisis. But, you know, really looking at those small businesses, is there an opportunity for them through these loans or is it just something that's going to be, you know, too large for them to kind of withstand? Yeah, that's a really good that's a really good question. I, I think a lot of it has to do with how these loans are structured. If you look at PPP, it, it's, its purpose was to keep people from being unemployed. Right. That was that was the whole the whole idea. And, you know, if, if you got a PPP loan. Uh, they keep changing. I think it's 60% now of that money had to go toward payroll. Now, if you're a restaurant and you're closed, you've been forced to close, you don't want to be spending 60% of whatever you can get on payroll because all you're doing is paying people to sit around and nothing. And, uh, oh, and, and by the way, now those expenses are not deductible if you, if you use the PPP to pay for them. So these restaurants are now going to have to pay tax on the money that they use to pay people not to work. So something like a PPP is not going to help a restaurant that's sitting around at 25 or 50% capacity and isn't, you know, can't break even. Uh, maybe a direct, a direct, like an EIDL kind of loan that, you know, that were just grants, something like that might, might help them survive and might help them pay off some of the debt that they're going to be seeing at the end of the year. But I don't think something structured like the PPP is going to help small businesses a whole lot. And I find it interesting because I tend to agree with you that you know, a lot of these mom and pops might not be able to survive, but the demand will be there, I believe, after the, you know, pandemic ends. I don't think people are going to just never want to eat again. So there will be demand there. So I'm wondering, you know, if you have any future prognosis for when, you know, the economy starts reopening and people are allowed to do these things again. Do you expect that businesses are going to be able to to revive themselves? Or do you think that it's going to be a new host of characters? I guess I'm asking, you know, is there an economic reason that maybe you want to shut her down for a year or so and then try a new concept, et cetera? Or is it just going to be a brand new set of players? Is it going to just contract and be the larger players, you know, kind of filling that space? Do you have any idea of where that might go? That's a really, another really, really good question. I, I think you know, there's, there's three questions there, right? Are people going to go back out and eat and go to rock and roll concerts and travel once this is over? Yeah, definitely. There's no way that, you know, once people feel comfortable, they're, they're not going to, they're not going to get out of there. So there's probably going to be even a surge, you know, it'd be maybe even think, higher than pre COVID for the first couple of weeks to months I, when you're allowed to. I think you're right. I think people are going to do that. They're going to be out in droves. Um, but 
now, now let's take a look at, at the at the individual establishments. If again, all of this has to do with your ability to to carry your your debt, right? All businesses are in debt. That's that's how we operate. So if you're a restaurant and you've spent half a million dollars to get started, and you've had to throw out a whole bunch of food and all that other stuff, you're carrying a big debt load. Really, it is. Can you can you carry that debt load until things improve? And until you see this surge, and I think if you can, you'll be a successful you'll be a successful business. Uh, you know, come the, the day all this ends, um, which is why I think the uh, you know the well capitalized big chains are in, you know are going to be in really good shape because they'll be they'll be standing and they'll people will be like, wow, I can, I can go to an Olive Garden, I'm, I'm on my way. Um, but a small restaurant, unless they own their building or they, you know, are really well capitalized, they just won't, they just can't last that long. Eventually the bank's going to come after them or their suppliers are going to come after them. And it, it just, how long can you wait? Yeah. It's a sobering thought to really think about, you know, um, it's something that I think this country is kind of built on having that backbone of small businesses and nothing against the bigger players. You know, there will be something missing if we have, you know, for every mom and pop that gets, you know, kind of eliminated by the pandemic to see one of the larger chains just take their place. So I'm yeah, hoping yeah. that, you know, there's some legislation that can be crafted. I know the Restaurant Act has been passed around, but I'm, you know, I'm in the boat that these these companies need help right now. And it's yeah. something that, you know, the United States should really be taking a look at, in my opinion. Yeah, but, you know, don't don't discount entrepreneurs either. If if, if, if you're a business person and you're an entrepreneur and you've, you've gone out on a limb and you've created a restaurant or you've created a nightclub or a comedy club, when this is over, even if you've even if you've gone bankrupt with this with this operation, that doesn't mean you're not going to try to find another one. And there'll be there'll be restaurants out there for the picking. Right. Because you know, they'll, they'll reprice. And I think a lot of these entrepreneurs will, will go back out and start new, uh, new enterprises and new concepts, but there'll be, a, you know, there'll be some lag between, you know, that happening and, and, you know, the, the end of the pandemic. So for the last question I got for you today, John, I'm going to ask you to put on your fortune teller hat. And I just want to see if you have any ideas, maybe any insights on how the U S election could affect the economy come November, either way. Oh, wow. Um, we, yeah, we I don't want to get you in too much trouble, but <laughs> my business works in the government affairs space. So we, we like everybody. Everybody's our friend. Um, so I'm not going to predict who's going to win, but I, I will say this from what we've, from what we've experienced, the, one of the, I think the legacies of the current administration is going to be uh, the deregulation that's occurred at least up until, uh, you know, March of this year. Um and, and that deregulation really did a lot to open up the animal spirits of the economy. It, it's been extremely important. And uh, if the current administration is reelected, I think that's going to continue and that'll benefit the economy well uh, going into the future. I think the, um, I think the opposite is true. If, uh, if, the, um, if the Democrats win, I think you're going to see a surge toward re-regulation. And that'll have a, you know, a more negative effect on, on small businesses in the economy. Um, but you know, that's, that's just you know, one area that, that, you know, we follow closely and I, I think, you know, is, is really important other, you know, other aspects that's, you know, who knows what's going to happen, uh, depending on who wins, but, but the regular, the regulation is one thing I think we need to look at. 
I think that's fair to say in 2020, none of us really know where anything is going at this point. Things have been kind of topsy-turvy, so wouldn't surprise me either way to see some, you know, unintended consequences coming from, you know, either way the election goes. But I do want to thank you again for your time today, John. Uh, You know, we really appreciate you working with us and writing for the report and everything. So I just want to ask you, you know, where can our listeners go to learn more about you and your organization? Well, we're, we're on the web. We're at, uh, at uh, GorillaEconomics.com, and that's G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A, economics.com. So like, uh, you know, the, the guys that come out of the forest, <laughs> you know, take over. A In the weeds, right? There. In the weeds. <laughs> um, so, yeah, people can, can, can look there. And, uh, and, yeah, thanks to the Food Institute. You guys are, you guys are great, and, and you do some of the best research out there, and we're always happy to work with you. Well, we appreciate that over here. Uh, We'll definitely share the relevant link in the description of this video. So remember, if you're new to the Food Institute podcast, please follow, like, and share. If you'd like to learn more about the Food Institute, please take a look at the links in our description to learn more about us and what membership could do for you and your company. So until next time, this is Chris Campbell signing off. 